This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we recap Vandy's 52-28 loss to Ole Miss on Saturday at First Bank Stadium. In the first half, the Commodores held their first lead over an AP Top 10 team since 2020, but the Rebels used a wave of 21 unanswered points to put away the home team. We'll run through the final box score, give you our three main takeaways, discuss the game day experience on West End, Rocco Griffin entering the transfer portal, and Georgia opening as a 38-point favorite on Saturday in Athens. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Commodore Nation, let's ride. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening. To the Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 184 on a Monday night, October the 10th, 2022, here in the Music City. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, family-owned and operated for more than two decades. Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors since 1995. Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft, and providing superior customer service, growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you're interested in contacting them, find their headquarters over in Berry Hill at 2505 Winford Avenue. Give them a call at 615-356-0303 or log on to their website. That's alacofinewoodfloors.com. Malaco Finewood Floors, serving Middle Tennessee's hardwood flooring needs since 1995. And, well, we continue to roll on to serve Vanderbilt fans' needs after an, uh, another loss to uh, the Ole Miss Rebels. So the Commodores fall to 3-3 three and three on the season. And, uh, well, we were both there. We'll dive into everything, uh, every aspect of that game that, that Vanderbilt uh, fans would like to know of. Probably not the beefiest recap. Uh, it's it's always funny the difference between our previews and our recaps. Uh, it's so funny to look back. But uh, three main takeaways as well. Will uh, Rocco Griffin enters the portal, so we'll uh, we'll talk about that as well. And Vanderbilt opens as a thirty-eight point underdog at Georgia on Saturday. The, the misery ends uh, next Saturday. So I think that's something to look forward to. Will <laughs> yeah, the schedule lightens up after this. Uh, you know. 
SEC-esque, I would say, if you want to just point to a three-game stretch that just exemplifies what being in the SEC is, is playing three top 10 teams in a row just within conference. And that is brutal. And you tackle, we talked about it before we started recording here, and you tack on Wake Forest being a top 20, top 25 team yeah, throw and that a conference there. schedule. And you've got, yeah, you've got yourself a hell of a, a hell of a run in the first half of this season, but I was saying to you before that on teamrankings.com, the in-conference strength of schedule for Vanderbilt is number one by a massive margin right now. Oh, yeah. And it's just kind of unfortunate with how the rotation has fallen because your West your West half rival is Ole Miss, who's on an uptick right now in the top 10, and your rotational game was Alabama. <laughs> so that, that wasn't a let-up either. So it just kind of fell in a tough spot for Vanderbilt this year with the schedule. But uh, we'll get into the little bits of and, and signs of improvement that we saw from this team. And there were some. There definitely was some. A lot early, actually, Will. Uh, that really, the whole first half, and we'll dive into that. A lot of this will be that first half, second half. You know, we saw it. We know, we know what the issues are. A lot of this is going to be, all right, how can this team build on the first half success that they saw? And, Will, real quick, to tack on what you just talked about in the gauntlet. I mean, we've talked about this gauntlet before, but Alabama – Ole Miss, and then Georgia. Of course, you get a home game in between there. But, Will, how is this team going to respond to to this type of – I hate saying a beating, but, I mean, let's face it, the, the physical, you know, kind of a beating and, and even more mental. So I want to talk about that a little bit later too, Will, just about how – you know, we're going to learn a lot about this, this culture of the program and where they're at after this – even after the Georgia game, kind of looking ahead. Um, because, you know, let's face it, it, it this is going to be similar – uh, to the Alabama week, uh, but Will, I mean, you still got a, a, a lot of winnable games down the stretch of the season, as we've talked about. So I definitely want to get into kind of the mental, but also physical toll that, that this team is facing. Uh, before we get to all that, though, Will, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the Ole Miss recap. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A Laco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, Ole Miss 52, Vanderbilt 28. Lane Kiffin went for the cover there late. I, I can't <laughs> actually, I can believe it. I shouldn't be saying I can't believe it. Yep. Um, <laughs> I remember watching that just saying, I, you know, we should have knew this. We should have known this was coming uh, with Lane, but uh, Ole Miss improves to five and oh Vanderbilt now at three and three and uh, first lead will Vanderbilt had their first lead over an AP top 10 team since the 2020 Florida game. I had no clue. I saw that graphic. Uh, after I watched the, I only was able to watch the first half back of the game, but I saw that graphic pop up. But it's just there's stats like that that you see, and you, you just kind of, you kind of, kind of, it's a little bit of a surprise. Twenty uh, fourth straight SEC loss for Vanderbilt. Uh, the Rebels really will. We'll, we'll get into this, but twenty one answered unanswered points in the middle of the game. It, late in that first half, they tack on a touchdown to make it twenty to seventeen, and then they score back to back touchdowns in the second half and. I mean, it was over. It, it was really over from there in, in all intents and purposes. Uh, huge 14-point swing. 
uh, in the middle of the game. Well, that's where we've seen Vanderbilt uh, struggle at times this season, the middle portion of that game where, you know, hey, maybe you finish a half out a little bit stronger or you come out of the break a little bit stronger. Maybe some of these games go differently uh, because this is where Vanderbilt has to avoid this. Well, they've, they've got to get to the point where these swings aren't just the game. It's like, all right, and mentally, you know, at least from a fan's perspective, you can feel just the game kind of slipping away quickly, and that's what it did. Um, so, Will, it, at this point in the season, you're three and three. So kind of initially, where is this team? Because I think I, I think they're right at my expectations, and, and we've talked about that. You know, we said I didn't expect anything more from this team thus far. Yeah, there, there's more out there for this team that, you know, they definitely could play better. But at three and three, you know, six games in, this is right at where I expected this team. And, and you know, I expected them to finish. I predicted three wins. But I mean, it, it's it's where this is. This team is where I expected them to be. They're at the exact record that anyone that really, truly evaluated this Vanderbilt team and knows a lot of really anything about college football. They should be three and three. Yeah. They are three and three and going to be three and four. I'll go ahead and give a spoiler on my prediction. I have Georgia beating Vanderbilt. I know that's probably not too much of a shocker to everyone out there <laughs> since they are a 38 point underdog. It'll really be a question of if they can cover that spread, but Vanderbilt is going to be sitting at three and four and they're going to have four losses with none of those teams that they lost to sitting outside the AP top 14. That is crazy. Yeah. They are going to be three and four with zero losses to teams outside the top 15. And that's not an awful spot to be. That's not a bad spot to be. Once again, I will keep saying it. We still don't know where this team sits in relation to the rest of college football. They have beaten bad teams and they have lost to really, really, really good teams. Not even just kind of good teams, not teams in the top 40 teams in the top 15 of any analytical ranking, any AP poll, any coaches poll teams in the top 15 or teams above about the 85th, 90th team in the country. That's all they have played. So you're going to learn a lot about this team in the last half of the season following the Georgia game. But yeah, Billy, it's it's got to have taken a physical and mental toll on these guys, even though I know they know what I'm talking about here, that it's just like if you spread out these three brutal games throughout the year, it's just even tougher to see them back to buy to back to back. That's yeah. that's just yeah. a tough stretch for anybody, whether you're a fan, player, or coach. Yeah, and for any school, I mean, there's not another. There's there's not many other. There is not another there stretch that. like this in all of college football. People people will be like, "There's man, this is this is might be the toughest. This is the <laughs> toughest three game stretch in the country, undoubtedly, and there's not even a close second. I mean, you're playing number one, number two, and number eight or nine yeah. in, in a three-week stretch and tack on number 14 to, to that run right there. So that's a pretty brutal way to be going in your season is number 14, number one, number nine, and number two. Yeah. I and mean, early, damn. That's, early, that's a respectable four losses if I could name off four losses. Yeah. Early in the build, too, Will. I mean, early in the build, the culture build. I mean, you're still trying to develop. This is a young team. You're trying to develop so many things mentally, physically, um, and, you know, you've got the SEC to deal with. So that just it just compounds the issue of, of trying to build, uh, you know, what Clerkley wants to have here. Uh, so 
Well, let, let's get into a little bit. Uh, we're, we're not going to do, you know, a, a quarter by quarter analysis in, in this one. Like I said, I mean, we'll talk about that first half for the most part. And then the second half was, it was all rebels. I mean, it was all hotty toddy there in the first half. There were a lot of, uh, was a lot of red and blue, but Will, we, we were talking before the show, there was more black and gold than I think both of us expected. Um, and, you know, I know there were three graduating classes, uh, I think there, a lot of alums, um, but still, I think that's a good, that was a good first half to show them. <laughs> you know, I yeah, mean, there were a lot of recruits. There yes, too. there were. That's one thing. I, it was more Vanderbilt fans showed up decently well. They showed up about how they should for a team sitting at three and two facing the number nine team in the country. Right. Uh, I mean, it's a respectable place. You haven't won a lot, but you've done enough to draw in people that are kind of, I don't, that are the casual diehards, I think would be the best way to describe it, is people that will go see any product that's not the last two seasons of Vanderbilt football. And they did a good job of combining that with some graduating classes yeah, uh, coming back to fill the seats. But really what I took away from the crowd was the lack of Ole Miss fans. That is more what I took away is they didn't even fill up the visitor half, even close to what we have seen mediocre teams in the past, mediocre SEC teams in the past do inside of Vanderbilt, now First Bank Stadium. Mm -hmm. So Ole Miss fans, come on, you have a top 10 team in Nashville and you only bring like 15,000 fans. You're supposed to take it over. That was a pitiful showing from Ole Miss. So I think this is more... A, a, a hatred towards Ole Miss or not a hatred but a yeah. diss towards Ole Miss and also you know a little congratulations I do want to say to the to the Vanderbilt Athletics Administration because I did see some youth football teams uh, around there that? with like general admission tickets and different things so that's something that I have noticed because it's something that we have discussed on this podcast before is something we would like to see and I've noticed it more and more that they are actually doing community outreach type things and that's helping. That is yeah. helping opposing fan bases not take over that state. Yeah, it's interesting, Will. Before the game, you know, walking through the tailgates and the parking lots, it's like, wow, there's a lot of red and blue. But I walked, you know, through the concourse and, and up into my seat, and I look around. I, I, I said the same thing you did. I was like, wow, I, I expected that entire, at least that whole visitor side to be filled to the top. And it was a late-arriving crowd. Um, it filled in pretty nicely, but it still wasn't uh, wasn't totally full um at least on that Ole Miss side which you typically expect from from an SEC team but um you know I I just I think well it was a good it was a good sign I think at this point in Clarkley's tenure that it wasn't just a, a pathetic showing for Vanderbilt fans like th- there was that was a like you said that was about where you'd expect the crowd to be uh for a three and two you know at the point football team you know I mean playing a top 10 team so uh yeah well that uh, the crowd I thought was was solid um but let's get into the stats real quick here will before we get into our three main takeaways there because there were some notable stats and we we all know uh, the performance Jackson Dart had uh, through the air, almost 500 yards, uh, total offense for Ole Miss, almost 600, um, you know, to be exact. So, A.J. Swan, Will, though, 27 of 38, 281 yards and two touchdowns, and most importantly, no interceptions. That I, I keep harping on that because it's, it's so impressive, a true freshman, and you've played Alabama and you've played Ole Miss and you still haven't thrown an interception. He is taking care of the football. And the O-line did a good job of taking care of him for the most part, I think. I mean, it, yeah, he had pressure, and he did take a few hits. Uh, but I think from the whole, you know, he, they, they did a solid job protecting him. He did everything he could, Will. I thought he was very accurate. Um, you know, yeah, he missed a couple of throws, but 
I mean, for a true freshman, that's what, you know, you expect him to miss a few here and there. Uh, he's been spot on. I mean, he's been what I, what I expected and even more. Um, so, we'll, you know, we'll get more into A.J. Swan. Ray Davis, though, Will, 27 carries, 105 yards and a touchdown. I mean, that first half, that was that was the the Ray we ex, we wanted to see and and that we've seen all year really. I mean that was really nothing new from Ray. I mean it was you could argue it was one of his better games in a, in the black and gold. Um, I think at least now he you know they Grease Gang got great push as well. Will I mean I, I'll talk about this in one of my keys. I mean it, it was it was the Ray Davis show. I mean he was yes he was running hard, but give credit to that O line also. And, and he would tell you the same thing. I mean, it, as a running back, you've got to have that. And he had it. I mean, the, the O-line, it may, they didn't sustain it. That's obviously tough to do for four quarters. But I thought for the most part in that first half, Will, that they, they, did, they did a phenomenal job in the run game. Yeah, they established – they kind of did to an extent what we were talking about a little bit. I think they played a little bit more bend – type defense right. than, than maybe we'd like to see. But the running game in that first half especially is what allowed Vanderbilt to completely dominate the most meaningless stat without context in all of sports, time of possession. <laughs> Vanderbilt had the ball for over 41 minutes of that game, Ole Miss under 20, and you still saw the final scoreboard. So uh, the Ray Davis stats and, and the rest of the offensive stats will also be incorporated into my uh, key take, one of my key takeaways from the game, Billy, but I think maybe in a little bit different of a slant uh, than interesting. you're going to take it. Interesting, interesting slant coming up from Will. I'm excited about that now. Uh, Jade McGowan, though, Will, seven catches, 104 yards and a touchdown. That 36-yard touchdown down the left sideline was unbelievable. I mean, he caught that ball, and I was like, up. Oh, four or five yard loss coming here and, and, but then he said nope made a couple made a juke move or two and then gone I mean in a flash and he had Ole Miss guys on his heels I mean they were they were running as fast as they could to get after him so SEC that's speed that's the future Will and I gotta I gotta I gotta go out there I called it I said there's potential for Jane McGowan to have a big game and he had the big game well I mean seven catches 104 yards that's pretty good for a freshman so um, I know Jonathan Mingo, he was a little outshined by Jonathan Mingo's <laughs> performance. Um, but I mean that he was really good outside of just that, that reception. Will. I mean, you saw him on, on the end around there, that little rush, uh, that early in the game, uh, the little flip from Swan. So McGowan is, I think he's starting to find more of a groove, you know, not saying he wasn't in a groove, but he's starting to really find a, a spot in this offense and I think Joey Lynch has done a really good job of incorporating him, Will, because that's been the challenge, I think, early on. You know, getting McGowan the ball, finding ways to get him the football. Um, and then you saw Shepard, too. Well, nine catches, 87 yards, and a touchdown. So, Swan with McGowan and Shepard, there's potential there. I mean, that, that that's what I say. The potential is there. And they, perform, they, they performed, at least in the first half, against, you know, an SEC defense. I mean, that Ole Miss defense, they're not awful. I wouldn't say they're a... You know, I wouldn't say they're great defense, but that's an SEC defense, a top 10 team that you did that against. So, you know, I mean, we, you got Missouri, you got South Carolina coming up. It's really kind of shaping up, Will. If all things come together, this offense can win a game. I mean, I think that's – you need a lot – you need all the pieces together, but I think this offense has that in them. They, they have that. Sorry. that. Sorry, Billy. I was a little distracted there. I don't know if you could hear it through the mic, but there's like 19 sirens going off. And I, can I didn't hear, it I didn't hear anything. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's why I looked kind of weird. So that audio is probably not going to come through at all. And I'm just going to look like I was just <laughs> kind of pointing off into the distance uh, very randomly. But yeah, I, I want to say something here, but I don't want to spoil one of my key takeaways as well. Yep. So because what you were saying with AJ Swan and Jaden McGowan and Will Shepard and the potential uh, that they have there is going to be one of the main things I was going to talk about in, in okay, the key takeaways we'll, here. We'll so pause, it's kind of hard. I got a lot there. of overlap here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll get to our three key, key takeaways coming up here, but a couple more defensive notes. Will Anthony Orgy, Honk, if you've heard this before, uh, led the team with nine tackles. Ricky Wright, two picks, Will. Uh, three total on the season now. So I really love what I'm seeing from him. I know you do too. He also he lowered the boom a few times as well. I mean, he – he feel it looks like he's gotten bigger throughout the season. I don't know if, if that's just me, but he and, and we know he got bigger. It looks like he's like flying around trying to find contact. I yeah. love how he plays. He just yeah. flies around, looks for the ball. He's like the the Palomalu type, yeah. just diving right. It's just anytime there's a play, even if he's not directly involved, it's like, oh, there's Dericky Wright in the screen of view yeah. on the TV or something. He's just constantly around the ball. And that's that's typically the guys you see come up with those plays. So yeah. you know who Ricky obviously, I mean he look he's a lot more key of a piece, I think, mm-hmm. on defense than than we anticipated. I don't think we brought his name up a ton. I know we definitely brought it up as an experienced piece, but I don't think he was one of the main talking points going into this year and he's he's performed pretty well yeah no i was i just had that in my notes will he read it off my script he's becoming <laughs> one of the more reliable players on defense now you know i mean it, it's it is what it is and it, he you know he reminds me of he reminds me a little bit of Jawan williams a little bit um you know i know similar size Jawan had a little bit more i was gonna say up. arnold tarpley <laughs> who i was going to uh, compare him to that's a compliment. Tarpley was a starting safety for years. True, for a couple true. Of years but I'm looking more of like that bigger, bigger mold of, of you know, physical. Because you saw Jawan Williams make a few hits, but he was also good at coverage. And Dericky Wright, I mean, he's had to do a lot. Like, he, he's had to, you know, with, with Max Worship being really a, a totally different style player who, you know, let's face it, hasn't been great in coverage, but he's, he's, he's great in the run game. Dericky Wright has had, to, has, a, has had to take on a lot of that load. So, um, well... Let's get into our three main takeaways, though. Like I said, it's not going to be a huge episode here, but we've got a lot to get into, and we've got some important things to hit on. Well, I'm going to go positive and then a couple negatives. I, uh, I you know, there, there, there are some positive takeaway, um, and a lot of that was most of it, all of it was in the first half, actually. And I'll start with that in and of itself, that, that early start to the game. I thought it was the best first quarter all season. Well, I mean, Vanderbilt came out. They were the aggressors. They were they were dominant up front. I mean, you like I said, the Grease Gang getting push like we really haven't seen. And and I, you know that's what I kind of I predicted too uh, coming out of the bye week for you know not only for the offense to get creative with play calls you know from Joey Lynch, but also just the O line getting push. You've got two weeks to prepare for this, and yes, it's a top ten team, but. You know, you you should be able to kind of early on, you know, be able to impose a little bit of your will. We know it's Ole Miss, and I thought they did that, Will. And the first quarter, well, the game in and of itself started very similar to the Wake Forest game. You know, like we talked, like we talked about, and I had predicted uh, in this game, we got an early glimpse of the future of Vanderbilt football under Clark Lee. I thought the crowd, I thought the crowd, you know, again similar to Wake Forest, but an even bigger crowd, really. Help, helped the team early, and we haven't been able to say that. Well, we haven't been able to to say that, you know, you could feel a, a little bit of a connection between this team 
and their fans. And, and I think that's what Vanderbilt fans have been longing for. You, you, you know, you, you, you go to every game, especially the diehard fans, you go there and you want to see, you know, you want to see plays like Jade McGowan getting loose on the sideline and scoring a touchdown. You want to see plays like Kane Patterson inside your, you know, the five yard line busting through the line. Like this team, I think is starting to find an identity. And we've talked about this, Will. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, that was their first lead over an AP top 10 team since the 2020 Florida game. Um, I know that, you know, it's just a couple of years, but still that's, uh, that, that's saying a lot, I think over, you know, in terms of growth. So they're getting there. They're getting there. Will that in, in turn. And like I said, I'm getting all my good out now because I'm not the next two keys are, are, are bad negative takeaways. Um, but you know, obviously, Will, the, the score from Ole Miss to make it 20 to 17 at the end of that first half was was really a downer. I mean, the feeling, you know, we talk about feelings in certain games. The feeling in the Wake Forest game was Mike Wright's interception. You know, the 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 kind of sinking feeling in the Ole Miss game was them scoring and then they get the ball back and you could just kind of know what was going to happen. You just felt it. And Ole Miss did exactly that. They, they scored right before the half. They scored right out of the half and then they scored another one. And then all of a sudden like that, it was, it was Ole Miss's game. But, Will, I, I do think just what I saw, what, what I saw in that first quarter and then most of the second quarter was, was definitely a positive. And, and I think the, the plays they made, you know, you saw obviously the, the, the fade from Swan to Shepard early on. You saw an early connection. You saw Ray Davis running hard. There's plays out there that they're making, and you say to yourself, man, I mean, this, they, they have the pieces. But we talked about it. The puzzle has not, it's, I don't even know if it's halfway done yet. You know, there's still, you got a couple pieces together, but you know, you're, you're, you're just not, you're not there yet. So, uh, Will, I, I thought it was encouraging, <clears throat> very encouraging start. Um, and I, you're starting to see a little bit of an identity from Clark Lee's team and, and he wants his fans to be involved as every coach does. But, you know, you just, you saw energetic plays where, you know, crowd gets on their feet, but at the same time, you know, the players are also energy. That's another big thing, Will. I mean, down the stretch of Mason's era, you know, it would just be lifeless at times. So that's what I'll say, getting all my good out early here, Will. Uh, but I, overall, I thought it was the best first quarter all season. I was going to say first half, but that Elon half, I thought was pretty damn good. Uh, but if, you know, if you finish this Ole Miss half a little bit better, maybe it's a different game. So, and, and we'll, you know, we'll get into the kind of that sequence, but uh, I thought it was the best first quarter all season. That's my first main takeaway. Yeah. My first takeaway was also going to go the positive route and it's basically the exact same thing. I mean, you saw flashes of sec talent and you, you see the corner pieces, the young guys, the AJ Swan, the McGowan, you see those guys on offense that are going to be the future of this team. And you see plays made by them that, aren't designed by the coaches to be running wide open on a guy you snuck out of the backfield or a wheel route or something or a fake bubble by the tight end. These are guys just one-on-one -on -one beating other SEC players and making plays happen. And that is something that is done with recruiting. There's only so much scheming that can be done against these truly top-tier teams. So, you, so we said it in the season preview and the buildup is this team, while they may not improve a lot in the win total, is going to be a lot more entertaining to watch because you're going yes. to see flashes from these young guys that are going to remind you of what the fun part of watching football is. It's not always just getting your brains beat in <laughs> like it's been the repetitive going on storyline over the last few years. So you're seeing flashes of that. 
and and AJ looked good. He looked more experienced than a true freshman. I think at some point you have to take the training wheels off. Uh, but a lot of that has to do with my key takeaway number two, which is not quite as positive. The rest of mine are not quite as positive. I assume like yours are not going to be, but at some point you've got to take the training wheels off AJ, the training wheels off of everything and just really see what he can do. Uh, I'm not really sure if you're just waiting to not kill his confidence or what you're doing, but there's a reason more than just his impeccable decision-making that is contributing to him throwing zero interceptions so far on the year. I mean, that is just, he is clearly being given relatively simple reads to make and be having the field have for him. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then just being allowed to do what he needs to do and having easy check downs and, and putting him in good situations. So the play calling in the first half showed flashes, but obviously leading into the second and third third keys here and key takeaways from the game, there there's still a lot of pieces to be put in place, especially when you saw Shepard hobble over to the sideline and get that ankle taped. You realize just how massive that lack of playmakers is when he's off the field. Yeah, I mean, it was almost like he leaves the field and you're kind of like, what do you do? I mean, what, you know, you can hand it to Ray, but at that point, you know, you know, they're not going to be throwing it to anybody. So I completely agree with that. Well, um, number two here for me, there were way too many one play drives for the rebels in the second half. It's really astonishing. I I was actually listening to coach Lee tonight in the coaches show. And he said too many one play drives. And I said, "Hmm, I, I didn't realize how many one play drives they had. So I looked into it three one play drives in the second half it started with eight and a half minutes left in the third quarter aj swan throws a backwards pass to ray davis that's fumbled and recovered by ole miss and that leads of course that's that's a one play drive but you give it to him there inside the 10 but it's still a one play one play drive six yard touchdown by quinshawn judkins and it was 6 30 minute 6 30 left in the third quarter 71-yard touchdown, boom, just like that to Jonathan Mingo. And that was the score to put them up two scores. So, you know, that was almost, you know, you're like, uh, this game this game's probably over, but if Vanderbilt gets another score, they're still hanging around. But the, the, the silencer was 650 left in the fourth quarter, another 70-plus-yard touchdown to Jonathan Mingo. So, you know, Will, when you look at those one-play drives – you're not going to beat anybody giving up three one play drives. And I know the one, one of them was, you know, given to them, you know, given to them at the 10 yard line, but still the two one play drives of 70 plus yards. I mean that you just can't, you can't let that happen. And, you know, I point to this will, because we've talked about how is this team going to get an sec win? You know, how is this team going to go up against, you know, these sec offenses? Yes. They're not going to face an Alabama an Ole Miss or a Georgia offense down the stretch of the season. But in Florida, you're still facing an Anthony Richardson who, I mean, he lit up Tennessee. And I know that's Tennessee's defense, but he has shown he can do that. Brady Cook for Missouri against Georgia. I mean, Rattler, he's he hasn't played particularly well, but he just went on the road to beat Kentucky. So the the the, the proof is out there that the teams remaining on Vanderbilt's schedule, they're not inept offensively. I don't think there's a single inept offense in the SEC this year. I mean, you know, you can go down the list. Yeah, there's there's definitely the better offenses to, you know, kind of the bottom of the pack, but the bottom of the pack is, you know, you could argue Auburn and I mean Robbie Ashford and their quarterback has shown some some signs of life. So, you know, I, I just I think defensively will, and I know a lot of this is gonna be on the defense here. 
I'm not going to pretend to try to say, hey, here's what they need to do. You know, need to need to be creative blitzing. And I, you know, we've tried doing that. I think at this point, Will, you, you've, I hate saying Ben, but don't break. But when you give up, I mean, I, I would rather a team go down the field and, you know, waste seven, eight minutes than, you know, boom, touchdown like that. And it just kills. I mean, maybe if you let them, if you, you know, let them strain down the, down the stretch, maybe you create a, a fumble down inside the 10 on a long drive. Maybe, you know, instead of them just boom with a click of the finger scoring, there's no chance for that to happen. So um, I, I just, that's why I look at those and, and it scares me. It, it just, it, it scares me. I know it's Ole Miss's offense. They're a phenomenal offense. Um, but I, I still think there's offenses out there down the stretch of this season will that have that potential as well, not even passing, but also running the ball. So you just, you can't have that many one play drives. It's, it's as simple as that. Um, and it was, it was astonishing even hearing that that actually happened. So, uh, well, number two for me is just, you can't have three one play drives in the second half and expect to beat a team, uh, really many teams. I mean, you're not going to beat many teams playing like that. So uh, that's my second uh, key takeaway, uh, as we begin our, uh, our, our defensive talk fest here. Yeah, my second takeaway is a stretch of this game that really is the entire game, and that's the end of the first half and beginning of the second half. And this is an area that five minutes before and five to seven minutes after and between halftime, that is an area of the game that if Vanderbilt is going to pull off an SEC win, they have to win that five minutes before and five minutes after. And so far in SEC play underneath Clark Lee, they've failed to do that. At a minute 30, Vanderbilt went up on that fourth down decision by Clark Lee that I loved uh, to be aggressive. They, they went up 20 to 10 with a minute and a half left in the first half, receiving the ball to start out the second half. That is huge. That's a, that's a 14 point potential swing. If you're able to hold Ole Miss, unfortunately you let Ole Miss drive down the field not even drive. They hit one huge pass play. Uh, they made it 20 to 17. You felt like you had pretty much dominated that half, but they hit one big play at the end and boom, it's a three, it's a three point game. And everyone that was wearing black and gold in that stadium knew what that meant. That score at the end of the half was the breaking point. You don't see teams pull off the up upset when teams find stolen points at the end of the half. That, that is where games are won and lost. So a lot of that, they didn't do anything terribly. They didn't do anything poorly. It's just what we talked about. They have flashes, but the whole puzzle is not there. When, when push comes to shove, when you get down to the depth of this roster, there just isn't enough to beat these teams like Ole Miss. Eventually, the five to 10-minute stretch happens. It's like in basketball. If you're playing the uber-talented team, and, and you see it all the time in March Madness and you see a 15 playing a two and it's a tight game up until halftime. And then in four minutes, the, the number two seed is up 20 points because eventually talent is just too much and, and discipline can only take you so far. They just don't have the guys on the back end with the speed. I mean, they were playing pretty preventive coverage there with a minute and a half left uh, up 20 to 10 with a minute and a half remaining in that first half. And they still got roasted deep for a 70-yard bomb. I mean, I, I know Clark Lee and that defensive coaching staff was in that huddle prior to that drive just saying, do not get beat deep. I know they had to be saying that. 
So what do you do? What do you point to at that point? Are the players too dumb to understand the message? They're at Vanderbilt. I'd hope they're not too dumb <laughs> to understand don't get beat deep. So do the players not care? Are they wanting to get beat deep? I'd really doubt that, that they're out there just hoping, just not paying any attention to the game and not caring. So it's just a talent differential. And, and that's where a lot of the frustration, I have to take a step back and say, if I was not a Vanderbilt fan, how would I evaluate this? And that end of half stretch, I would just look at that as the thing that happens all the time, that Vanderbilt was schemed well in the first half, and eventually the athletes just took over. And the offense, Billy, to end this number two negative takeaway that they're not uh, finishing off the first and starting out the second half efficiently uh, so far this year. I mean, to put it on a positive note, the offense produced more than I think either me or you expected in our prediction. Now, the defense gave up a few more points. Uh, but the offense was able to move that ball up and down the field in the first half when A.J. Swan was comfortable. And I think Mike Wright packages are going to add a little wrinkle yes. into that offense that was much needed. Yeah, Will, it, that was interesting. I, I, I probably wouldn't have gotten to that if you didn't just mention that. And I want to hit on that because I think that's – he's one of their best 11. Clarkley has talked about that. I mean, you, you, have, you, you have to get him on the field at, at some point. Now, the, the tough part is you don't want to hurt A.J. Swan's rhythm – offensively but I thought it was perfect I thought the way they incorporated Mike Wright we've been this is what we've been clamoring for but ever since we started this podcast because you know last year it was Ken Seals versus Mike Wright and we're like okay we want to see Seals start but we want to see Mike Wright inserted in certain packages at certain times this was the game where it was I thought perfectly executed I mean you bring him in and I thought where it, it really was, it made Joey Lynch look like a genius. And it was a genius call. It was the fourth down play where you have Mike Wright in there with a threat of the run, but you give it to Ray. I mean, I I look around and I'm like, that how genius was that call? And it was a it was a long time out before that. You're like, oh, what's Vandy gonna do here? Fourth and two. They simplified it. Let's say, let's put Mike Wright in the game and make Ole Miss believe he's gonna be the guy that's gonna score instead of hand it to Ray. On the other on the other side, I thought early in the game they ran a speed option out to the left side with AJ Swan. I just I don't like that. I, I know most quarterbacks can run the speed option, but if you're going to do that, I'd love to see Mike Wright in there um, doing that. So, but other than that, that one play, I thought where Mike Wright was inserted was perfect. So I'm glad you brought that up, Will. And I don't think I finished the little recap of the half. So I'm just going to run through the t the nine minute stretch before you get to your number three. So that, cause I was going to have to try to incorporate this into my key number well, three. It. It's probably just, it's going to be tough. But so the minute and a half score from Ray Davis, Vanderbilt goes up 20 to 10 Ole Miss big pass 20 to 17 at half. Big Vanderbilt pass. has the lead <laughs> 20 to 17 <laughs> Ole Miss scores. Vanderbilt has the ball beginning of the second half. And they go five plays, 15 yards, punt at 11.38. Ole Miss, seven plays, 83 yards in a minute 41. So all of a sudden, it's 24 to 20, 9.57 left. In that third quarter, you feel like you've played right with and probably a lot better than Ole Miss throughout the game, and you're actually down four points. Then you immediately have the fumble, the backwards pass from A.J. Swanderay, then one play, six yards. And I know that team was shell-shocked. 31 to 20, you're down multiple scores. And you feel like we were just up and they were just up <laughs> six minutes of game time ago. They were up two scores on Ole Miss and then three plays punt score. And then you're sitting in 10 minutes, nine and a half minutes of real game time. This Vanderbilt team went up from up 20 to 10 
to down 38 to 20. And so the whole game, it, that's why we weren't going to do a, a breakdown of the play-by-play because this game was not just kind of and not just metaphorically, it was completely won and lost in nine minutes. Everything else before and everything else after did not matter. That, that 28 unanswered points from Ole Miss in nine minutes was the game. Ole Miss could have not scored another point and the thing would have went to overtime. So that that's where I wanted to focus on with my key takeaway too. I got a little more positive at the end, but how does that happen? Yeah. I it, mean, that's, was, that's crazy it that was they were wild. able to accomplish that in real time. It was, I don't know if I've ever seen a wave of, of just momentum and I'm not saying Vanderbilt, you know, they didn't, they really didn't have the momentum heading into halftime. I mean, Ole Miss had it, the score to make it 20 to 17 was basically telling Ole Miss and their players, all right, we're, we're good. We're fine. We're, it we're did feel walking. like that stadium had they, everyone was cheering and standing, but it felt like that stadium was like, we've seen this story before. Yeah. We, we've seen this, whether it's Florida uh, before the, before Dario Dangbo got uh, the crackback block on him. I think it was 2018 uh, Vanderbilt's up 21 to three. They, they allow Florida to come back and, that and was win classic, that game. It was a classic sleepwalk from from an SEC opponent. You, and, and you've just not, seen it so many dis- times. It's it's hard. To but I also to don't want to discredit Vanderbilt. Like no. I, I like what they were able to do in that. Well, I don't. Half. This is the part. I don't think Ole Miss was sleepwalking. That's. I think Alabama was sleepwalking at the beginning. But it's hard to get excited when you know inevitably there is going to be the momentum game shifting play, and you saw it happen right before halftime. You saw you see, the seventy I, yard completion. And, and the air went out of that stadium in a way that's really indescribable. And it's like simultaneously you watch 10 to 15,000 real diehard Vanderbilt fans all have the same exact thought at the same time. Like, ah, oh, that was fun. It wasn't even like this super angry. It was like, and that takes away the chance of a real comeback, even though, or a real upset, even though Vanderbilt was leading going into half. I think the realistic thought of an upset happening just kind of evaporated instantly. Uh, with that score from Ole Miss at the end of the first. And that's what will – that getting past that is the next step. You, you can't ha- – as a program, we know they're young, but right now that's where they're at. I mean, you know, that's that's where they're at. You, you One big play can do that to a young team like this and a young program. The next step is getting past that. So what they scored to make it 20-17 to 17 at half. You know, we get the ball. We get the ball on offense. Let's go down and score. But no, they let kind of that wave, and you knew Ole Miss had the momentum, but you've got to shift your mindset. So it's so much shifting of mindsets, Will, that I think Vanderbilt fans don't realize. As you know, obviously a lot of this is physical, and yes, Ole Miss is better. um, But I think if Vanderbilt was where where they're supposed to be right now mentally, that game's different. I I just, you know, and yes, they're inexperienced, and that's why. Um, but that's the next step, Will. I mean, getting to that point to where one play doesn't have that much damage and doesn't doesn't create that much damage for for you and your home crowd. So, um, all right, Will, number three, though, for me, um, there were way too many holding penalties for Vanderbilt in that second half. And, you know, I was kind of, I was trying to think of a third key takeaway here. I, I really only needed two main takeaways. I just needed a positive and a negative, but, I you know, throwing this in there, I thought it really cost them, though. Um, you know, I don't have this on paper, you know, and, and I don't even – I can't even point to the specific plays. But and, – and, yeah, not all of them were good calls. But, Will, you still can't shoot yourselves in the foot like that. There were at least two 
big first downs in that second half. I don't know the time period. Maybe you do. <laughs> I have a feeling you do that just murdered any sort of like extra momentum that Vanderbilt wanted to have in that second half. You know, you you're down two scores. You're trying to claw back, but you've got to hold 15 yards down the field behind the play. And you know, that there's certain things where, you know, you look at will and you're saying, okay, this, you know, these things shouldn't be happening, but it keeps pointing to a lot of those just kind of lagging mental mistakes. You know, I mean, the, 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 the backwards pass from Swan, you know, that's really the first, and I don't even know if I'd call that a mistake. Yeah. It's kind of, it, you can't really place the blame on anybody. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's an error. It's a miscue. Um, but that's just a lack of focus. I mean, it's a lot there. The, it, the mental side of the game is not there for Vanderbilt. That's not physical. And then the penalties that's, that's lack of mental focus. So they're just, they're, there's signs will that I look at when Vanderbilt plays and it tells me this, this team's young. They're just, they're, they're still learning. They're learning. They're, they're, they're getting there physically. I, I really do think they are, Will. Um, now, they're not going to go up and compete against an Alabama, Georgia, or Ole Miss, but we saw what they could do down the road in that first half. So physically, I honestly think they're further ahead than they are mentally because you see, you see mental mistakes that are so obvious. It's so blatantly obvious. So uh, that's what I'll say, Will. Um, again, not not uh, too beefy on the uh, on the takeaways, but uh, I, all I really needed was a positive and a negative. But the holding penalties, I mean, it was like, my goodness, there's another holding penalty on a run that could have been a first down and maybe Vanderbilt tries to claw back. But you hold, you know, every time, it just you inhi- inhibit yourself from even trying to, to claw back in that game. So it was just kind of compounding it, Will. And, um, you know, that they, they've been really, I think, pretty solid, the offensive line in terms of not, committing those holding. I think he did see some against Alabama, uh, but I didn't see a game like this before this Ole Miss game on the schedule where it's just so glaring. It's like, you know, there's way too many holding calls. So way too many holding penalties in that second half, Will. Yeah, my my key takeaway number three is going was actually going to be that basketball season is less than a month away. Uh, <laughs> but, but you hit on one with the holding penalties. Uh, yeah, there was one of my favorite type of holding penalties, which was a complete ghost call. Like I still have no idea. What At they least called. two of them um, were awful calls. It was on, it was on a throw from Swan that was a third down conversion. That in the stadium I had to go up to the top because there were children around me and I started cursing. Um, but I was like, how is no one upset? So actually number three takeaway for me is going to be three, a basketball season, November 7th, okay. less than a month away. It's sneaking up on us. We'll have to do that preview relatively soon. Really. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. We'll Memphis. Some, yeah. I'm very excited about basketball season. They were actually right in front of our section, uh, over there throwing out some stuff, uh, during the game. Did you so tailgate with Stack they were World? Actually, I was unfortunately not able to tailgate. I had some uh, things that I mentioned to you before the podcast that were going on uh, personally. <laughs> well, I'll uh, that say this, me to Will, the traffic to. was out of control. Yes. No, yeah, I had to drive around lot two where I have a parking pass that I paid for that I had no spots in it. So that was interesting. I'm, I'm, um, so I'm my, here saying so the same 3B thing. So 3B and 3C are going to be actual game day experience issues that I had. Uh, so we'll tack on the lot the lot uh, not having any parking spaces because they were taken up by same day sales to opposing fans, even though your season ticket holders paid for the parking pass in a reserved lot. Vanderbilt is the only sec team I've ever seen that not only allows same day sales, but also 
actively encourages sales to opposing fan bases to tailgate outside of the fucking game. That is nuts. That is just so, how much money do you need? You're receiving a massive amount in the SEC revenue check from just the television rights. You're telling me you need that parking revenue? That's a joke. But my actual 3B was going to be (laughs) that how in the world does the video crew not have the ability to show live replays during the game? Isn't Vanderbilt a fucking SEC program? Not one time on a questionable call was the replay shown up on that video? I actually, board. I know now one that. time on a that. turnover, they just had the turnover to Swan. They showed like one angle on the pass to Davis on the very questionable and close that stood on the field. Well, usually, you want usually to show just questionable to calls to the feed. crowd. Yeah, you want to show questionable call, calls to the home crowd so you can get an eruption and maybe just a little bit of influence on the referee. That's where the three-point swing in the gambling line comes in. It's not just because you're loud. It's because referees make calls that lean towards the home team when the home environment is raucous or booing. They're more likely to lean that direction. So my issue is, how do you not show bad penalty calls just over and over? Have it, That's what every other stadium does. So that was an issue with the whole game day thing is so – Number one, what I've always said is, yes, you want to target some stuff to casual fans, grow your fan base, but your number one priority needs to be maintaining the 8,000 or 10,000 season ticket holders that you are lucky to have that have stuck with this program through thick and thin. Everything should be catered to them. Everything within the people that prepaid for their tickets and prepaid for their parking passes, everything in that stadium. I might sound whiny. I don't care. I've been to a lot of shitty games in that stadium. I want to be able to take the parking pass that I prepaid for, scan it, and go park in the lot. That doesn't seem like a crazy thing. And then just, it was weird. The, The lack of replays, there was probably some tech difficulty, but it's like every positive thing at the beginning of the year, I couldn't even get a beer. Like bathroom lines were crazy. It was like everything is regressed inside the stadium. And I would hate to see what's going to happen when that stadium is actually full. Because that was like 75% and the beer line was wrapped up to the gate uh, in that front gate entering the stadium. And the bathroom line was backed up like 30 people long uh, in the third quarter. So I don't know what's going on with everything at, at, at with well, the overall I'll, game day experience. But it would... It, it regressed. It's very weird to see it regress with not really a really that much larger number of people at the actual game than like Wake Forest. Yeah. It, it, it was really odd the issues that they were having. Some something was going on with their technology. The speakers were kind of off sync. So the the overall game day experience was not great. So that that was gonna be my key takeaway number three. Yeah. I mean the traffic was that was ridiculous. Um I know it's a big game, but I mean, you have to you have to take control of that. I mean, that that should not be happening. I actually saw Candace Lee out there on a golf cart, uh, trying to trying to do what she could. But I mean, at that point, it's like this is ridiculous. I mean, we were standing, yeah, you know, our brother, we were standing still in the car. I mean, standstill traffic. Well, this like this is the other problem. The is I experienced it because I'm usually there at like six thirty or seven a.m. So I hope that someone from Vanderbilt's administration is listening. Probably not. I really doubt that we have a strong Vanderbilt administration following. Don't but think who so. knows? So in lot number two, 
uh, your traffic monitors are directing people to drive through lot two when obviously there have been no spots for a very long time in lot number two, because what had backed up traffic is everyone was being directed to go straight, drive all the way to the back of lot two, and then have to turn around where there's not room to simultaneously go back and forth. Uh, so people were having to like stop let a car go because somebody had their big F-350 tailgating truck so you couldn't get through the tiny, skinny college parking lot lanes. And so you had to drive all the way and loop all the way back around and go park like way in the back of lot four instead of just having a sign that says, it's full, go here. So that would have solved <laughs> the entire issue at one of the entrances is just somebody having, using one milligram of brain power <laughs> and just putting a sign that says lot full up and in will, front of one of the I, lanes i thought no one's leaving it. no one is leaving in the vanderbilt football game day parking lot at 2 15 p.m there are going to be no spots to open up for a very long time back there pretty safe to put up a sign and block that thing off <laughs> oh man well and it, it wasn't even full i mean I, I think that's a little bit of it from sec fans they don't want to go to that stadium anymore because it, it, of it, issues like this but I pray for Vanderbilt staff when that thing is full. Um, I just do because, I mean, if it, it was at probably 70, 75% full, may, if that, and there were there were definitely some issues. Other, so, other um, suggestion, do not use a wireless payment system in a stadium. You have to wire in your payment system because as more people connect in, I don't care what the company said and sold it to you, Vanderbilt. It will have issues and slow down as more people continuously are surrounding the terminal or surrounding the register. And as more transactions are flowing through your wireless payment system, you have to have a corded payment system, an Ethernet cable connected payment system if you are wanting to use an internet payment system. So that is a suggestion to Vanderbilt Athletics as well. I, I've, I've said that to my dad since the moment I saw they were using the wireless things and i'm shocked it hasn't become more of an issue but it was which is why i couldn't get a beer because two or three of their uh registers were not working uh, at the grab and go mm. so that was that was I, I didn't have a chance to get lubricated as much as i would have liked to uh before well, that second half well the, the door report is powered by ethernet right now in my laptop so and and look how efficient and smooth it is so i mean <laughs> Might, might I mean, as well we follow. never have technical difficulties. So oh, you should definitely listen. We never do. I mean, you should listen to my advice because I know what I'm talking about. We <laughs> have the best technology, best infrastructure here using oh, yeah. my $179 laptop. Just, just follow our lead. Just follow, <laughs> just follow our lead. Follow our lead, baby. <laughs> Gold oh, standard. Man, so is that it for our keys? Our, uh, key I think we're way past keys, Billy. Yeah, we're, we're just, way past keys. Was, I'm complaining about a big wireless rant. cash registers. You're complaining about I think a wireless mic within Vanderbilt Stadium. <laughs> I'm complaining about the concession transaction process at Vanderbilt State First Bank Stadium. I think it might be time to wrap up this uh, game recap. Hey, we got Rocco Griffin news to talk about, though. Oh, yep. Rocco Griffin has entered the transfer portal, Will. Uh, he missed three of Vanderbilt's first six games this season with an injury. Uh, led Vandy in rushing last year, actually, with Ray Davis hurt. Uh, and then, But Pat Smith took over the number two role, Will, in spring practice. So, um, I you know, I, I think a lot of this will is, you know, Ray Davis and Patrick Smith are simply better players. I mean, I, I, I hate saying that. Um, I've, I've always loved Ray or 
I've, I've, I've loved Ray too, but I've always loved Rocco ever since, you know, he got to Vanderbilt, just a tough, gritty runner. I was excited to see him this year and, and, you know, definitely upset about that. But coach Lee did say this tonight about it. Uh, Ray and Patrick have established themselves as playmakers in our league. There's depth there at that position. So, I mean, they're not, I don't think this hurts them tremendously, but I mean, say one of those guys goes down, you'd like to have Rocco back there. So I don't know why uh, he, he entered the portal. Will but preserves preserves eligibility. You think that's it? It is. The four is that, games he's played in. He's played in less than four games, so he can get a red shirt this season. Okay, Mr. Byram on top of it. I love it. So Rocco Griffin. Well, you might want to fact check me. I'm like ninety five percent sure on that. But I, I didn't really – I don't want to comment too much on the Rocco stuff because I've read the initial, like, article and Coach Lee's statement, but I don't know anything about the real why. I, w- I just yeah. assumed it was because he's been out and he's played in less than four games, so he's going to be able to transfer, not have to sit out a year, and he's going to maintain this year of eligibility right. and be able to redshirt. Yeah. That would be my assumption. I don't know if this was something planned, you know, before the season or if all of a sudden, you know, he didn't play as much as he wanted to against Ole Miss. Maybe that was – I don't know. I so, think this uh, may have just been the breaking point of, like, he's back healthy and he's still just playing on kickoff team. He had one carry for four yards. Right. And he just made a – he made a me decision, which I'm not going to blame the guy mm-hmm. all the time during yeah, – I mean, all the time you see it in college football from the coaches. So if he wants to maintain that year, he saw the writing on the wall – I mean, I think he probably did just get beat out and he'll probably go somewhere and contribute in the mm-hmm. backfield for for a lesser, lower-tier FBS or high-tier FCS program. And like I said, Vanderbilt's not hurting after this. I mean, you know, you still got Ray, you got uh, Patrick, you've also got Cooper Lutz back there who I think, is at least, especially on special teams, has played well, but he even got a carry, he got that touchdown against Hawaii. So Lutz is a guy that that can do some things as well. So uh, Vanderbilt I is think fine. it's also been Ray Davis. Ray Davis is just a workhorse. I mean, his yeah. long longest rush was 10 yards but that's a dude that can just take the carries take the hits and then you can put in Patrick Smith fresh Mm -hmm. Ray Davis healthy is really just a a harder runner kind of lower center of gravity version of Rocco Griffin Mm -hmm. and then Patrick Smith is a faster speedier quicker version of Rocco and then Rocco is kind of in the middle of both of them so it's tough when you've kind of got a guy that's better at being a power back and kind of short yardage every down guy and then you've got a guy that's better at the explosive plays and, and Rocco just kind of slips right through the crack there in the middle. And I don't think any Vanderbilt fan looks at Rocco and is like, he lost out this job and he's not a good running back. I think just a convalescence of things mm-hmm. happen. I don't even know if that's a word. It's getting past, <laughs> I think it uh, is. past, past. It's getting it's, dark. Billy. It's almost TDR, TDR after dark. After dark baby. Yeah. It's almost but a lot of things. A lot of things came together that Patrick Smith and, and Ray Davis just fit this offense better. Yeah, I don't. I, mean, I don't know. I could be completely wrong. There could be huge locker room issues. I don't know. We're just. Spe- I'm. I know. I am just speculating at this point. I don't know about you, Billy. But yeah, I, I mean, it's. It's not. I mean, we we'll just won't go any further there. I, I don't know anything else in that situation. Uh, but like I said, Rocco Griffin in the portal. It'll be interesting to see where he lands. Uh, if it is Division One, I, I would. Ex- I would expect it's. It's D one. Um. Well, uh, 38-point underdog at Georgia uh, next Saturday, of course, doesn't get any easier. But this team, this Georgia team, is really the last Goliath on the schedule. I mean, you could argue Tennessee potentially. uh, You know, we'll see how they do against Alabama. But, I mean, 38 points early. I mean, do you think Vandy covers? I think, you know, they had – they had a slight chance of covering against Alabama. I think I predicted it to even happen. Um, I just – I mean, it's it's kind of – 
it's just kind of not even really much of a discussion point, but that's kind of the main thing we're going to be talking about this week. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I think I mean, a lot of our discussion is going to be if they're able to keep the quarterback upright long enough to score any points. I think that's going to pretty much sum up if they're going to be able to cover, because I think we kind of know what Georgia has on offense. Vanderbilt's probably going to give up some big plays, but overall Georgia's offense isn't the best offense Vanderbilt has seen this year. So they're probably going to score in the you know upper thirties, low forties. It's just, is Vanderbilt going to be able to score at all? And then that's, really really a question against this georgia defense and especially that front that vanderbilt's going to struggle tremendously against yes yeah i mean very similar to the alabama game but you know how do you how different do you look you know i mean how do you play georgia differently i mean we'll, we'll see i think there there are some some things to get into this week uh, that we will get into in the recap the preview man I'm, I'm all over the place now will uh that does it though for episode 184 of the door report powered by alaco finewood floors